in the high desert in the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell. Slamming into your radio like a supercharged nanoparticle of unobtainium. My name is George Van. I'm Richard Serrett. This is Connie Willis. I'm George Norrie. Welcome to Coast to Coast Day. It's great to be here. Welcome to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. We are two brothers who analyze the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show known as Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul, and I'm the one that listens to this inexplicable radio show here with my brother. Hey, it's Chris. I'm the Desmond Tutu to your Dalai Lama, except we aren't on the CIA's payroll yet. Very, very true. Keyword yet. We are yet. Hopeful. We are hoping. We're looking for a payoff, CIA. I'll well, take Chris- NSA money, dude. I'll take FBI money. I'll take ATF money, dude. When it comes to federal paychecks, I do not discriminate. We can only hope to uh, to get paid off by the deep state, Chris. But until then, we are uh, stuck uh, being poor. So we'll we'll make it work. I'll take Coast Guard money. Well, today, Chris, we got a special episode. This is a Patreon request from our patron, Rojo. Uh, so, Rojo, thanks for giving us a shout out. Uh, Rojo and Rojo's wife wanted us to give this one a listen. It is going to be George Norrie's interview with Rupert Sheldrake from September 14th, 2021, about spiritual practices and terminal lucidity. Paul, I think your Anglo may be showing. Are you sure it's not Rojo? Is it Rojo? Like red? No, because the J is capitalized. So oh, it made okay. me think. Then, yeah, Ro then I like the Rojo. Then I like Rojo. Yeah. If it is Rojo, we got to uncapitalize that J. Uncapitalize that J. That's fine. Whatever. If I mess it up, my bad. But yeah, we're going to listen to that today, Chris. And it's going to be very exciting. Terminal lucidity is the idea where uh, people who are about to die suddenly get very lucid and then like remember everything, even when they have dementia. Oh, so like just like a complete memory dump. Yeah, it's like suddenly this person who has not really been present is like suddenly present like the day before they die and then the next day they die. I get it. All right. I see. I see. Yeah. But before we get to that, Chris, we got to check in with our good friend Timpanol at the Coast to Coast AM blog. Tim time. Today's article. Man accused of swindling woman out of over $300,000 by pretending to be God. Wow. You know what, though? To be fair to this woman and to that man, there's people who do this every single day and they call themselves preachers. Well, I also love the uh, the image on this one, Chris, because some of the images aren't always the best. We've called out some poor images before. This is what it looks like an iPhone and uh, it just says God is calling. God's calling. I really appreciate it. That's, you better pick fun. up. God's calling. So from the article, because we love a swindler article. We're big swindler fans We're of the show. We love to learn because here's the thing, Paul, the conspiracy and paranormal realm is full of swindlers. And one of our many jobs as hosts of this esteemed podcast is to call out the swindlers. It's very true. Uh, it's a heavy weight on our shoulder being the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. But someone's got to do it. is the crown. So from the article. In a bizarre story out of Spain, a man is on trial for allegedly convincing an elderly woman to give him over $300,000 by pretending he was God. Oh, boy. See, you can't go after the elderly. You can't do it. 
It's automatically bad. This is a bad man now. If he was going after like 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, I'll even give him 50-year-olds. But once you start getting into 60, it starts to get sad. And we'll see how elderly she is. But if she's very elderly, dude, bad man. Bad man. You can't go after grandma. That's just mean. Yeah, don't go after grandma. You can go after mom. You can go after dad. You can go after Uncle Rick. Take a little bit of his money. The strange case reportedly began back in 2013 when the unnamed suspect called the victim identified as Esperanza uh, and informed her that she was speaking to the supreme being. This dude calls her and then says, this is God speaking. Yes. Okay, good. What's what's so odd about that, Chris? No, keep going. (laughs) Okay. While most people would simply hang up the phone, the woman actually thought that it was God on the line, as she had previously had a profound experience wherein she believes that she had been made a saint by the Virgin Mary. So this woman's already a little delusional. Yeah, I don't think she's in a great place. Because everyone knows the Virgin Mary can't make you the saint. Only the Pope can. So, first of all, bad Catholic. (laughs) Second of all... The Virgin Mary doesn't have that kind of power, dude. I actually, to be honest, I don't know how you can make a saint. Is it the Pope who decides? Yeah, you got to be beautified. Ah, well, there you go. See, not Catholic. Uh, Esperanza's tale was apparently so well known in her community that it led to the call from the faux deity who sought to take advantage of what the Spanish media described as the woman's, quote, religious mystical delusions. Okay, so I'm I'm actually going to take some of my criticism against this guy a little bit. She went out looking for the fame with this. She was apparently telling everyone that she was sainted by the Virgin Mary. Yeah, dude. She's just going around telling every single person, I got the Virgin Mary blessing. So it is a little impressive, though, that this woman who seems a little insane had $300,000. Do you think she's getting the money for being a saint and then she's funneling that money to this guy? I don't, I would be shocked if anybody was giving her money for claiming she was sainted by the Virgin Mary, but I'm unsure. You gotta be, dude. These small town Catholics, it's tough, dude. I mean, you gotta walk to a pilgrimage when you could just walk to this lady, get a quick (laughs) blessing, you know, a little spit on the forehead, and then you're cured of whatever. That's pretty awesome. That would be rad. I wonder if she was performing miracles. That would be pretty cool. Guarantee it. Posing as God, the man told Esperanza that her money would be in safer hands if she gave it to him so that he could deposit into a checking account at the, quote, Bank of Heaven. Dude, God does have the (laughs) safest hands. God does have the safest hands. What did she think that was going to do? He's got the whole wide world in his hands. That doesn't even make any sense. I love the Bank of Heaven. This guy was, that's not even creative. That's That's not not even that good. (laughs) He wasn't trying. You could have gone with anything. I'm going to put you, put the money in heaven back. It's going to be super safe. First central bank of paradise. By moving her funds into the divine institution, he claimed she would have, quote, more profitability, which would ultimately allow her to build a home in heaven when the time was right. You think uh, God gives pretty good compound interest? I mean, apparently, you know, the Bank of Heaven has the best rates. My God, dude, he's giving you like 15% savings rates on that, dude. Just pure interest. 
can you imagine going to heaven and finding out that like the fact that you were poor on earth, you're also poor in heaven and you still have to live in like a tiny studio apartment? Oh, I'd be ticked off, dude. I'd be so ticked. Yeah, you have to like, you don't even have enough money. You got to live in one of those like coffin rooms that they have in Japan, yeah. in Tokyo. <laughs> you're like, all right, well, this is where you're spending eternity. And you're like, man, my life sucks. Can I go to hell? Dude, if, yeah, if capitalism and real estate is still a thing in heaven, I don't know if I want to go. This sounds lame. It's actually super pagan. I've been doing a rewatch of uh, Vikings on the History Channel. And the king puts like buries a whole bunch of gold and then kills a young boy to protect the gold hoard so that he could go get it in Valhalla. You heard it here first. You can take it with you when you go. You can take it with <laughs> you, dude. The Egyptians did it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they killed all their servants with them, right? The Chinese emperors did it, yeah. dude. You get to take it to heaven. Start collecting. <laughs> well, first you gotta deposit it. You gotta you gotta send it to God, and then he'll he'll make sure it's safe until you die. Burial works. Mm-hmm. Burial works. Sadly, the dubious pitch worked to perfection, and over the next several years, Esperanza delivered envelopes of money to a store owned by the fraudster. He did this for years, and <laughs> it was a cash handoff. <laughs> That's unbelievable. She was hand-delivering it to God. This was... I just feel like God should be a bit more... Like, he's calling on a cell phone, number one. That's weird. Number two, he wants you to deliver envelopes of cash to a random store. That's odd. That's odd God behavior. Uh, It's very strange God behavior. But again, this woman thinks that Virgin Mary came down and sanctified her. Apparently, apparently. This is a woman who believes that. So I can see her totally seeing this as a normal everyday occurrence, handing envelopes of cash to God every few days for years. Man, in an effort to ensure that no one knew about the ongoing scam, the con artist even went so far as to warn the woman that God would kill her children if she ever told them about the heavenly financial arrangement. That's a little psychopathic. That's a little dark. That, that was a very, this was kind of a funny caper that got dark very quick. (laughs) However, the sinister swindlers house of cards. Nice job, Tim came tumbling down when Esperanza ran out of money and began asking her family for loans which led them to discovering the elaborate ruse that had befallen her. Back to your original question, though, Paul, how did this woman get $300,000 even <laughs> over multiple years? Maybe it was like her husband's or something. I, she, I, or maybe she's really old and she started to like lose it at the end. But I, I have a hard time thinking that someone who is this crazy would gather that much money. That's crazy to me. Like, you got to start selling property at that point. Maybe she was. Maybe she Maybe she was. I don't know. All told, it is believed that the unfortunate woman gave over $300,000 to the proverbial devil in disguise. What do you think he was doing with the money? Dude, he's just probably having a good time. Partying. Dude, I mean, over, since 2013, it's like 10 years of this, like... 
that's not that much money. Like it's obviously a big chunk of money, but $300,000 over 10 years, I think you're just having a real good time. $30,000 cash every year supplemental would be nice. It'd be really nice. It wouldn't completely change your situation, but it's certainly nice. It's going to put a nice dent in whatever situation you have currently. You're feeling better. <laughs> An extra $300,000 in the pocket over 10 years. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Any, any day of the week. Now, on trial for the cruel scheme. The alleged swindler insists that he is innocent. However, prosecutors say that part of the evidence that they will present against him are recordings of the phone calls wherein he posed as God to the unsuspecting Esperanza. She started recording these calls because she believed she was talking to God and wanted the voice of God on her phone. Apparently, yeah, because I mean, there's she clearly trusted the guy, so she probably just wanted the recording of like when I talk to God, I want the you know the trail, so maybe I could show my kids one day. It's kind of interesting a woman who thinks that the Virgin Mary blessed her, sanctified her, and told everyone in her village is now talking to God and doesn't tell anybody. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess if God's saying he's going to kill your children, if you tell anyone, but also like that feels like a flag that it's not God. I don't think right. God would kill your children for, because I mean, he didn't kill the kids for saying that she was sanctified. Yeah, he went after Abraham though, dude, pretty hard. Abraham almost stabbed the crap out of his child. Yeah, but that kid deserved it. Look at Job, dude. Job got punished all over the place. And God pretty much was like, yeah, that was my bad. He didn't even say it was my bad. He just said you don't get to understand it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sucks to suck. Yeah, dude. We were gambling. Yeah. I was just having fun with Satan. It's, it's yeah. no big deal. We're gambling, dude. Don't worry about it. Not your problem. If convicted, the man could face up to eight years in prison for the dastardly divine impersonation. That's a lot of money over a long period of time, dude. It's quite the caper. But at some point, you know, he could just probably screw up. You know, I mean, this woman doesn't got thinking you talking to God for 10 years is inexplicable, Paul. That is rather inexplicable. Um, Quite difficult to imagine. Well, Chris, that will do it for Tim time this week. Now for some quick housekeeping. Uh, we have a Patreon. If you want to support the show and get some extra episodes, you can go to patreon.com slash coast to coast PM. The link will be in the show notes. You can sign up for as little as $2 a month. And we're trying to do like maybe two to three extra episodes a month as well of us reading um, different news articles that George Knapp posts and, and some fun stuff like that. So go check that out. We have an email, C to C PM uh pod at gmail.com that's where you can reach me uh if you want to reach chris you can find us on our subreddit coast to coast pm um and we want to give a quick shout out to some of our patrons which we have not been doing a great job about but we're going to start doing that every week so starting with uh the first handful of uh patrons we want to give a shout out to d craig our boy kenny heather chris Carmen, Maria, Ryan, and Sam. We appreciate all of you. Thank you for subscribing. And we'll make sure to give everyone else a shout out in the coming weeks as well. All right. To our George Norrie interview with Rupert Sheldrake from September 14th, 2021 about spiritual practices and terminal lucidity. Now, Chris, before we jump in, 
I did want to pull an ad because we haven't listened to any ads. And this was one of the first thing that played when I started listening to this episode. And I just had to show it to you because I think it's awesome. This is an ad for paranormaldate.com. Paranormaldate.com, good for everybody. Paranormaldate.com slash seniors for those 60 plus. At paranormaldate.com, you meet the most fantastic people. Hi, I'm Tom. Hi, I'm Jennifer. What brings you here? Yeah, I'm here to meet someone who understands me. How so? Well, I'm into UFOs, ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot, conspiracy theories, the paranormal, that kind of stuff. But can't seem to find anyone who gets it. Oh, well, um, nice to meet you, Tom. I, I gotta go. Uh, okay. Guess that's not your cup of tea. You sure? Very. Good luck with that i can't meet anyone when i'm out and i really can't find a website for my unique interests what does one to do have you thought about paranormaldate.com para what dot what who are you i'm a paranormal matchmaker and it's paranormaldate.com it's a website for people looking for people like them stuff you like remember interesting uh, i'll give it a try well let's try this again uh, hi i'm tom Hey, I'm Deb. Your profile on ParanormalDate.com looked very interesting. So you really saw a UFO? Well, yeah. It was so intense, but not as intense as meeting you. You're an alien chasing flirt, but I kind of like it. Wow, this ParanormalDate.com thing really works. Maybe ParanormalDate.com is for you. People would... <laughs> oh my god. That is George Norrie's dating website that he started um, with Glennis, the numbers lady. We've referenced it before. I thought it was time we actually listened to the ad. <laughs> I'm shocked what? and appalled. What are your thoughts? I'm shocked and appalled. <laughs> I feel bad, dude. I feel sad. <laughs> Isn't it great? It's like, so good. Listen. Coasternauts out there, we love the conspiracy. We love the paranormal. On the first date, don't bring it up. Don't mention it. If you bring it up on the first date, you have a problem and you need to think through it. It's a third date thing. Maybe a fourth date. Maybe get a kiss and then be like, let me tell you about the weird stuff I'm in now. But like, seal the deal first. Pretend. Do not show them who you actually are. I didn't, we didn't start doing this show until like me and my wife were engaged. You know, I waited a long time before I started laying this And stuff then out. we let the freak flag fly. But yeah. dude, you got to make sure that they're pretty much stuck with you. Yeah, they got to be in. They got to be in. Well, and then what's funny too, so they have paranormaldate.com and then paranormaldate.com seniors. Right for, dude. for the older folks of what and that looks like. you can sign up for free, but to like send messages or something, it like costs money. I think it's like 15 bucks a month or something crazy. It's like, it's a decent amount of money. Uh, and from, I can't validate this, but some of the things I read online said it was like 10 to one dudes to chicks. <laughs> oh, that's not surprising whatsoever. It would be like yeah. going to like truckerdate.com. Yeah. That's got to be a terrifying place. Yeah. So if you uh, are looking for a paranormal date, check that out. They also have conspiracydate.com. If you're more into like the moon landing is fake than ghosts, that's the one you want to go to. Dude, both created by George. Yeah. Conspiracy date is just like all QAnon people. At this point. <laughs> Exclusively Q. It's almost all Q. 
whatever dregs of cutum is left is on conspiracydate.com. Yeah, dude, that's the that's that scum at the bottom of the barrel that's still on the Q train. Like they just can't drop it. Terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely hor- that was I'm going to have nightmares tonight from that one, Paul. I had to play it for you. It had been so long. We've we've brought it up. I never played it. I was like, I have to pull it out today. Uh, coast to coast, give us a call. We'll we'll mock up a couple of better ads than that. That's sad. It's it's a little weird and gross. It, I thought it was sad, dude. I felt bad for the guy. All right. Well, let's get to our interview with Rupert Sheldrake, Chris. I actually really like Rupert. I just want to start with that so people know where I'm at. I, he's kind of a cool dude. So number one, we're going to kick things off with why is he studying spiritual practices, right? How did Rupert get into this stuff? There's now been quite a lot of scientific research on spiritual practices. And that research shows that spiritual practices in general make people happier, healthier, and live longer. The converse must also be true. People who don't have spiritual or religious practices are unhappier, unhealthier, and live shorter. So there's no good evidence that these practices have measurable effects on health, well-being, and in the short term on things like brain function, uh, blood pressure, and so forth. I, I wrote a previous book called Science and Spiritual Practices, where I dealt with seven different practices, and this book, Ways to Go Beyond, is a sequel. All right, nothing too wild there. Religious people are typically report on being happier than non-religious people. Yeah, and there was recently a study that came out of the Harvard Review, which first off, boo Harvard, but um, it was an interesting study where they were saying that the the miracle cure for the incredible amounts of like depression, anxiety that are being seen in America is like to go to church or like some sort of like religious gathering because 100%. everyone, yeah, everyone who goes to those has lower levels of depression and anxiety, even when they factor in potential like alternative secular sources of community, it still does not match the levels um, or I guess lack of depression, anxiety that the religious communities have. So it it does have a pretty strong foundation in like sociology to kind of back that up. We're all stuck in our homes or our apartments or our parents' basements alone going on the internet or streaming TV for hours at a time. And then we're working for nine to 10 hours a day. It's like, yeah, dude, no wonder everyone's depressed. We're all alone. No one has any community. No one's building organizations anymore. We're all alone. We're all hyper atomized. And it's like, yeah, if you go to church and be like, oh, wow, there's a big world. And there's a, a a being bigger than myself. And, you know, I, it's a, a crutch you can lean on when you need it. Mm-hmm. And I hate calling religion a crutch, but I mean, it that's what it's there for. That's what, so you can lean on this belief when things get bad. And for those of us who don't go to church, who don't have a fundamental, strong community belief when we're out here, you know, needing that crutch, we're just flailing around, dude. We're just falling. Yeah. And I think it is like, even if it's not religion, but spirituality of like, you know, there is something bigger than myself. I think it is helpful just in terms of 
getting you out of your own problems because I mean, me especially dude, like I have some gnarly anxiety sometimes and I get like really wrapped up in my own head and it's helpful just to remember like I'm a tiny little speck on this giant rock ball of ours. Right. And the world is not going to end because of these problems. Like it's going to be fine. Uh, So I think like that kind of like zooming out that happens a lot of times in religion, spirituality is, is very helpful. Agreed. So next up, he talks about some of the spiritual practices in his book. And this one was actually pretty interesting. It was not what I was expecting him to say. The first one I discuss is something most people wouldn't think of as a spiritual practice at all, namely sports. Sports, Uh, really? Okay. Yes, uh, because in the modern world, I think, although we think of sports as supremely secular, um, they're the main way in the modern world in which people achieve altered states of consciousness. Um, You know, if you think about meditation, which is a practice I discuss in my first book, Science and Spiritual Practices, If you think about meditation, the whole point of meditation is to come into the present. You know, normally our minds are wandering, worrying, thinking about all sorts of different things. Uh, The parts of the brain involved are called the default mode network. It's it's the chattering mind. And the point of meditation is to let go of those thoughts and then uh, to come into the present by focusing on breathing or on a mantra. This guy is riding the beam. My immediate thought was thinking about how the Aztecs had the ball game and the Iroquois nation had the what the early forms of what becomes lacrosse and that these games became warfare for the tribes when when something was going wrong when something bad was happening in the environment they would come together and have these games and you know, especially in the case of the Aztecs, like you might get sacrificed. But again, that was the religious tradition. Mm-hmm. Well, and the big thing that he talks about, too, is the ability of sports to ground you in the present, where yeah, he used the example time. of like rock climbing or if you're playing football, it's like the only thing that you're thinking about is where's my hand going next on this rock wall or right. you know, making the right move to catch the ball. You don't have time to think about all this other nonsense, which... Yeah is what meditation is like meditation is grounding yourself in the present and like having a singular focus of mind. Um, and like it, it is basically achieving that same end goal. Yeah, dude, riding the beam, dude, you ride the beam. I I don't know what that means. Just, just keep saying it. Okay. So the other one he talks about too is fasting. And I did find this one pretty interesting because, um, there's apparently a lot of benefits to fasting, Chris, that, that can actually be shown out. You also talk about fasting. Tell me about that. Well, fasting is found in all religious traditions. Yeah. Um, you, you know, in Christianity, it's practiced in Lent by many people. Um, in Islam, uh, they fast during Ramadan, during the daylight hours, no food or drink. And, of course, in, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, it's it's there in the Jewish people fast on Yom Kippur. Jesus fasted 40 days in the desert um, after his baptism. So there's a long ancestry, of, but it's also been studied uh, medically and scientifically. And it's now known that the best way to extend life in almost any animal, even a microbe like the bacterium E. coli, or a worm, or a fruit fly, or a mouse, 
or a human, the best way to extend life is to have periods of fasting. If you feed mice on alternate days, so every other day they're fasting, um, they live 50% longer than mice that are fed every day. Um, and this is called caloric restriction, restriction of calories. So if you're telling me I start fasting every other day, I could live to be like 150? That's definitely what he was saying, yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, I got to start <laughs> fasting every other day. I did look that up, though, and he's right. Like, they have shown that fasting can extend the life of animals. That's not surprising at all, dude. Like, the metabolic... Mm -hmm. You're putting your body through the trenches, you know? You're, like, training your body to react to a lack of nutrition, a lack of resources, which I can kind of see that being a positive, you know, if you do it a couple days here or a day here or once a week or whatever it is, kind of your body having to react to that, kind of putting it through the, the, you know, it's like an exercise almost. Yeah. And I think it also just goes to the fact that generally most people in the Western world also just eat too much. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> and we, we don't eat very healthily. Right. Yeah. So I think this, this idea of like limiting ourselves in a particular way for either religious or like health experience can be beneficial. Like I started intermittent fasting, which is basically between like 6 PM and like noon, I try not to eat. And it's the only way I was able to drop my COVID weight. And like, I didn't limit myself in the hours that I was eating, but right. because I was doing that, I was able to drop the weight that I had gained during COVID. And it was actually super helpful. So I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff, honestly. Yeah. I was just being more intentional when you're, yeah. when you're focused on what you're consuming, what you're putting in your body or what you're not putting in your body. I think you do kind of become more intentional down the line, mm -hmm. right? It was like this, this little statistic I saw that people who give blood like on a semi-monthly basis have an 80% less chance of heart disease. Really? And, well, and so, but think about it. Probably the people who are giving blood all the time are naturally healthier people. Mm-hmm. But not just because they're like going out and giving blood, but you have to cross off like 40 things that you aren't doing yeah. to give blood. So just like you are automatically more healthy than the average human who is in the populace, right? Mm -hmm. And so you already have a smaller sample size of healthier people who probably won't have heart disease yeah and i could also you see what i'm too, saying yeah i could also see too maybe if you are giving blood a lot maybe you do want to eat a little bit healthier just because right you have to replenish your body yeah. because you're losing a lot of blood have you ever given plasma yes i hated that i gave plasma once i never did it again it was a very very long way i'll just probably give blood from here on out yeah, I used to try and give blood monthly before I moved, and I gave plasma one time, and I was like, I'm never doing that again. It was miserable. Some other cool benefits of fasting is that there actually is a biological reason why it clears your mind, hence Jesus doing it for 40 days. For most people, um, it's very helpful practice, and I myself do it every year during Lent, you know, in the period before Easter, 
Um, I usually do it for four days or so in Holy Week, uh, the week leading up to Easter. Um, just milk, I'm sorry, not milk, uh, water and tea, uh, no food. Um, and I find that it, after the first day or two, I stop feeling hungry. Um, food still smells delicious, but um, I stop feeling hungry. It becomes much easier to do after, once you get into it. Um, and I become clearer in my mind, more able to concentrate. It's a better for prayer and meditation, which is one reason it's done in spiritual traditions. And it's psychoactive. Um, when you're fasting, you metabolizing fats. One of those compounds is um, the gamma-aminobutyric acid. Um, no, sorry, beta-hydroxybutyric beta acid. Um, and that's very related to gamma-hydroxybutyric acid, which is uh, a neurotransmitter, GBH. It's also a street drug because it produces euphoria. So fasting's getting you high. But isn't that somewhat also because your body is literally eating your brain i don't know if your body's eating your brain yeah you're the like the first place that goes is like whatever facts and stuff are in your brain oh well okay well maybe your brain needs a little trim down and so that's what I always kind of figured was <laughs> what's getting you high is your body. And it's not so dramatic, but your body's kind of eating your brain. I mean, that's a little rad. <laughs> it's definitely interesting. Have you ever fasted for a prolonged period of time? Not that, not that long, not four the, days. The most I've ever done is 24 hours. And I, I definitely did feel clarity of mind. Yeah. So I think that makes sense. I didn't know. I've never heard that your your brain was being eaten, though. We may have to do a Lenten four-day fast. I mean, apparently it's a vibe. My worry with that is I do have a job. And I feel like I'd be an asshole if I was fasting for four days. Well, you're already an asshole. So what's your explanation for that? No, so no big difference, it sounds like. Yeah. Might as well do it. Might as well do it. But no, he makes it sound really interesting. Where he you're does? Like, hey. He is selling me on the fasting thing. So uh, next up, uh, George asks him a little bit about you know the fact that he is scientific. He's a biologist, but he's also spiritual, right? So he goes into a bit about how science could actually benefit from a little spirituality. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. <laughs> I think that when you have a view of nature as alive, organic. Um, with our own minds as uh, more extended than our brains, the kind of scientific worldview that I've been trying to develop through my own books, and which many other people are developing too, uh, then the conflict with spirituality and religion sort of melts away. And the fact that scientists are now studying spiritual and religious practices and finding uh, that they have these measurable effects and many benefits um, I think more or less dissolves this ideological conflict that used to exist uh, into something much more collaborative. Um, you know, a scientific study of fasting and its effects on health and mental life and well-being is not in conflict with the practice of fasting, and the practice of fasting is part of religious traditions, as we've just discussed. So there's no conflict there, and the science can actually illuminate uh, the practice of fasting. 
Well, I think that's something we've talked about, Paul, that science is often too sterile, mm-hmm. that it doesn't give a whole lot of due diligence to the fact that the whole universe is connected. Yeah. That we all are part of the same thrum, the same heartbeat of the universe. And I wish that was something that science would promote just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Yeah. Or just recognize the fact that there are limitations to science and not say reality is only what exists within the scientific realm, because there, there are naturally limitations there. Um, there is only so much that we can understand from our you know, perspective. And there's a lot that we don't understand. And I think that's an okay thing to say. And that's why I really like Rupert Sheldrake's vibe because I think he just he does a really good job walking that line of wanting to be scientific but then also saying there's some additional things that we can believe in or practice that can benefit us in other ways that's not just grounded in you know 100% pure science and in medicine you know but recognizing the value in both I think is kind of the important thing loving Rupert so far dude he's a fellow traveler can't wait to hear more so next up, Chris, uh, does praying work? That's a big question, I think. And we know, Rupert, that prayer does work, doesn't it? Yes. Um, well, it certainly works for the people who pray in the sense that people who pray um, have many benefits from it. Uh, it doesn't always work in the sense of what you pray for comes true. I mean, after all, if everyone who's prayed for for healing uh, survived and uh, no one would ever die, you know. Um, So there's a limit to what prayer can achieve, um, just like there's a limit to what modern medicine can achieve. If modern medicine was totally successful, no one would ever die either. Um, So, uh, but the effects uh, of prayer um, work at different levels. And sometimes the critics of it, the scientific critics say, well, it's, nothing but a placebo effect, um, you know, like a blank pill in a clinical trial. But the fact is that placebos work. So even if you want to dismiss it as nothing but a placebo effect, uh, placebo effects work better than nothing at all. Dude, I feel like I must have had the same freaking thought bubble that Rupert had, dude, because he's just like, he's, he's literally preaching to the choir right now, dude. I'm loving it all. <laughs> well, and I loved his point about, well, placebo effects work because that is also something that has always bothered me where people are like, oh, it's placebo, it's placebo. And it's like, well, the placebo is pointing to the fact that someone thinking that they're going to get better from something has made them better, right? It's incredible. It's inexplicable. That's... And it shouldn't <laughs> be inexplicable anymore. Yeah, that's like mind over body shit right there. And, you know, yes it is uh, potentially just the fact that someone is aware they're being prayed for, that they are getting better, but the reality is they are still getting better, right? <laughs> That's that. There's some serious utility there, I think. Well, and it's also a form of meditation. So yeah. that didn't really shock me too much, mm-hmm. right? And then I also, like we've talked about, we are made up of vibrations and the world is made up of vibrations And if you are sending positive vibrations, like Dr. Paglini taught us, you can affect the natural environment through those vibrations. 
bringing up Paglini, dude. I love it. I love it. Very true. If you haven't listened to the Dr. Paglini episode, go back and listen to that. Um, she was wonderful. And I feel like these two would have gotten along incredibly. I think they would have because I think uh, Sheldrake comes more from a biologist background to appreciate sp- spirituality. And then uh, Paglini definitely comes from the spiritual background, but would appreciate some of his his biological insights. Yes, yeah, agree. I agree. Uh, yeah, dude, he's a vibe for sure. Uh, Chris, were you aware that animals are actually a little bit psychic? Oh, yeah, dude, big time. There's the fact they're much more psychic than we are, much more telepathic. And as you know, I wrote a book called Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home about the telepathic abilities of dogs, cats, horses, parrots, and other animals. They have a better sense of direction. Homing pigeons can home from 600 miles a day in a single day from from an unfamiliar place. Um, But they also have a a spiritual effect. And as I was saying earlier about sports, one of the points of many spiritual practices is to come into the present, not to spend one's time worrying, fretting, uh, you know, the wandering mind. Um, And animals don't have the kinds of ongoing thoughts that we do. Uh, They're much more in the present anyway. And they can bring us into the present. You know, if you're sitting there and there's a cat on your lap purring, if you sort of tune into the cat, the cat is telling you it's perfectly happy to be where it is right there, right now. Dude, there was this one cow on the farm I worked at, and I hated this cow. And that cow knew I hated her. (laughs) She knew, dude. She would come and mess with me all the time. I hated that cow. She's like, come up, run on me, like kind of almost like stampede me. And I would have to like get nuts and go wild to like get her to go away. Happened almost every single time I went out into that field and and I was somewhat near her. Dude, they know. They definitely know. Well, and one of the things that he, um, I believe, was referencing with his previous book is the fact that dogs know when the owner is about to come home. And there's a few different ways they can track that, right? So dogs can actually smell the time of day, which is pretty weird. So if you have a regular schedule, the dog will be aware that you should be coming home, you know, around like five o'clock. But the really strange thing is that they've tested owners coming home in their car at random times. The dog knows. They've switched the owner out and had someone else drive their car and the dog knows it's not the owner and they don't go to the door or don't go to the window when someone else is driving their the owner's car so like dogs are aware when it is their owner in the owner's car driving to the house and react to it it's very strange that's ancient dude that's ancient breeding (laughs) and we have almost melded into a symbiotic relationship in which the dog becomes almost an extension of the human being and vice versa which because we can do things the dog can't do and the dog can do things we can't do and the dog also gives us a lot of health benefits because people who have dogs like will have lower blood pressure or have a lower chance of like heart attack or heart failure or depression or loneliness not that it cures those things but it can reduce the chances of those things happening through that companionship Right. So it's very, it's a very symbiotic relationship that and I never think about it that way, but my dog is like an extension of me. Like whenever I go on vacation without my dog, like it feels weird. Yes. <laughs> like I don't like it. 
there's a nakedness to it. Yeah. It's like, like not having your phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like always there with you. I, I'm not, if I don't wear my wedding ring for a little bit, I'm like, start mm-hmm. playing with my finger, you know, like, yeah. where is this thing that is always on me? Yeah, exactly. Well, Chris, I did promise you in our text thread, we would touch on psychedelics. So what's up with psychedelics, man? What's up with those? Are some are some of these seven spiritual practices, does psychedelics have anything to do with it? Yes. Uh, I think that for many people, I have a chapter called spiritual openings uh, through psychedelics and uh, cannabis. Um, um, Some people have spiritual openings through the use of uh, uh, cannabis or more powerfully through psychedelics. I I did myself, you know, in around 1970 when I was uh, doing research in Cambridge. um, I first took LSD and for me it opened up um, a vision of consciousness, an experience of consciousness far greater than anything in my education or anything that I'd been told about or learned about. It's what, in fact, gave me a long-going, an ongoing interest in spiritual topics. I, I took up transcendental meditation soon afterwards because I wanted to explore consciousness from within, uh, you know, without drugs yeah paul i was doing a lot of research at the university of arkansas (laughs) into drugs as well you heard it here first kids do psychedelics do a little research when you get to college (laughs) it's a very pro psychedelic podcast make sure you tell your parents that it's for research purposes only always have someone spot your research i'm taking notes the whole time mom and dad promise I mean, it's fair, though. Like, that seems like it would be a spiritually enlightening thing. Like, I know a lot of people who do it for that reason, not because they're trying to get, you know, messed up, because they are trying to legitimately expand their brain. First time I did mushrooms was the most spiritual experience of my whole entire life. The second time I took it, I was like, oh, this is just a drug. (laughs) But round one was great. But I need it. But you need both of those. You need both of those. I had like put mushrooms on this pedestal and was like, oh my gosh, it's the most amazing thing in the world. And then I took it a second time and I was like stuck indoors and we didn't really have access to anything. And I was like, okay, I'm just like sitting here kind of stoned. Well, and And that's not fun. Yeah. And one of the things he talks about as well. It was fun, but it wasn't, it wasn't this unbelievable experience. Like I thought it was. Yeah. One of the things that he talks about, too, is the use of psychedelics to cure depression or drug addiction, which has been shown over and over again that it can be really effective in like rewiring people's brains with those kinds of issues. They now have uh, uh, home ketamine kits where you can be sent ketamine to your home and then you'll do like a uh, virtual like walkthrough while you're taking your ketamine. Uh, it and it's for anxiety, it's for depression, stuff like that. So, like, it, it is effective. It does have like actual medicinal uses. Who is doing this? Oh, dude, there's I. You don't get ads for those. I get ads for that shit all the time. No, I've never gotten an <laughs> ad for a home ketamine kit. Yeah, you can get K at, at home. They'll they'll ship. It's really expensive. It's like uh, I think it's each round is like four hundred bucks. Um, for like one dose or something it's it's really pricey and they'll send it to you like once a month but yeah you can get your home Dude, kevin, kevin down the street has it for 50 bucks a dose yeah i mean it's a little more expensive when you do the legal <laughs> route but it is fully legal 
I know her parents listen to this. I'm not talking about breaking the law. This is a legal <laughs> thing that I looked into. I looked into doing a lot of K, mom and dad. It was for research. I was researching special K. I was researching <laughs> special K for the the knowledge that it would give me. It was for the podcast. It's always for the podcast. Yeah, there that's my excuse when the CIA and or FBI knocks on my door. I'm like, it was for the podcast. All right, Chris. Terminal lucidity. This is our boy Rupert's current, the the current topic that he's investigating most highly is terminal lucidity. So he gets a little bit into what exactly that means. Well, one of the things I'm doing research on currently is a phenomenon that's recently been given the name terminal lucidity. And it used to be called lightening up before death. And it's... It's, but there's now increasing number of studies uh, which um, largely based on case histories um, that show that many people who've had dementia for years or who've been extremely sick and who are dying, um, a day or two before they die, somehow get their memory back if they've had dementia for years, didn't know who anyone was and stuff get their memory back, become lucid and clear, know who people are, talk about things that have been going on in the past, um, become present and um, have this day or two of lucidity um, and then they die. I know this is real because my own brother died about six months ago. Oh, jeez. He had this. Uh, I went to see him shortly before he died and he had dementia and Suddenly, he was totally present. We looked into each other's eyes. What, What is believed is going on there? I truly don't know. Um, this is one that I kind of have a hard time totally understanding what's occurring. But I do think that it probably does occur because I, I have heard of this type of thing before, right? I'm wondering if somehow the body knows it's about to die and just starts like running on overdrive or something or it starts like pumping something through your veins so that you know because i'm trying to think like evolutionarily like why this would occur but like if you are conscious or more conscious right before your death then you can like wrap up loose ends more and maybe there's some sort of evolutionary advantage to that um but that it's one that i kind of have a hard time totally totally explaining through a materialist lens i'll say well, I th- I would think it would almost be something along the lines of like the fight and flight response, kind yeah. of like you're saying, where you get this kind of last bit of explosion of chemicals and pheromones yeah. and molecules and like just kind of your body just kind of expelling whatever last little bit of energy that you have which then translates itself into becoming more lucid, mm-hmm. um, having, you know, kind of synapses that had not been firing anymore, start to fire up a little bit again, because like, this is it, right? This is the last little bit of time you got. And back in the day, right, that would be like you having to protect your offspring or mm-hmm. you having to you know pass on whatever information or whatever it is right yeah that would that would have maybe given that some kind of biological response but and but i also wonder if it has to do because you know the big thing recently has been to talk about how when you die 
your brain releases DMT, mm-hmm. which I don't know what that stands for, but you can also find DMT recreationally these days. But this is a chemical that releases in your brain. And like you're supposed to get pretty crazy like visuals. And I've always wondered if this is kind of like when you rerun through your life almost. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it could be potentially related to that. But it's just so interesting that like, you know, a day or two before you die, your body is reacting in that way. It's right. like your body knows. It's yeah. like getting it's ready. Preparing. Yeah. Which is a little shocking for sure. Um, and here's another clip on it because apparently terminal lucidity has been known about for quite a while. It's been recognized for years. Um, the, in some languages, there's a, there's a traditional word for it. Um, in Spanish, it's la mejoria uh, de la muerte, um, the enhancement brought about by dying or death. Um, well, what I'm doing research on at the moment is to find out whether this phenomenon is confined to humans or whether it has a biological basis. So the question is, if you've had a dog or a cat or a horse or an animal you've been close to um, and it's been very ill, um, have you observed shortly before it died something similar to uh, terminal lucidity, the animal becoming more alert, aware, uh, seemingly aware of the fact it's dying. Very interesting. I think I think it goes back further. I think it's at least a mammal thing. Yeah, yeah, it it very well could be. And that was some of the examples he gave was of people who had reached out to him and had told him about uh, their dog who uh, was super ill. They were going to have to put it down like in a week or two. They had an appointment for it. And the dog went up to like everyone at the dinner table and like, you know, shook their hand because the dog knew how to shake. And then it went to its bed and died. Right. Um, just like weird things like that that have happened right. prior to an animal's death that yeah. he's currently researching. So, yeah, if you have any of those stories, uh, email us and email Rupert Sheldrick because apparently he's looking for him. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, we'll put his we'll put it if he has a website, I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. Yeah. So that was Rupert Sheldrake from September 14th, 2021. Chris, uh, on a scale of one to five hits of ketamine, what do you give our boy Rupert? Five hits of ketamine, dude. Easy. This was an incredible, incredible episode. I loved everything he talked about, and he gave us some stuff to chew on, dude. I always mm-hmm. love chewing on some fat, man, and he gave us plenty of fat to chew on. You really did, man. I'm also going to give him five. No notes. Zero notes for me. Uh, I think he did a great job. This was some solid information. Uh, it was real information from what I could tell as I was trying to fact check him. I was like, this pretty much checks out, you know. Yeah, take whatever you want with a grain of salt, just given it is uh, still like a little spiritual, but, you know, still, man, it's solid, solid stuff. I think he's a, a really smart guy. And it sounded like George was doing a pretty good job. George was. George was on it. I think George liked Rupert. He paid attention yeah. and he asked some good questions. Well, it was all genuinely fascinating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there, there, there was no swindle in the man. This is mm-hmm. all stuff that is, as far as he knows, the truth yeah and also rupert just seems like a really good guy because his son 
Uh, I think he has his son has a also has like a biology PhD from like Cambridge or Oxford or something British like that, and just wrote a book. And the book's doing like really well on the UK bestseller list. So he was like bragging about his son and how proud he was of his son. Like he just seems like a genuinely good dude. Yeah, you know, good dude, good dude, great dude. Just yeah, researching some drugs in in Cambridge though. Yeah, I mean, it clearly uh, helped direct the rest of his life. So you got to respect it, man. That... Baller status. <laughs> those, Mom those... and dad, I've been dosing LSD all semester for research. For research. It's for the research. Well, that has been this episode of Coast to Coast PM. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to support us, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash coast to coast PM. Link is in the show notes. Uh, that'll be it. We will see you more uh, next week. All conspiracy, all the time. Later.